Welcome to the Intentional Encourager podcast, where each episode brings you compelling conversations and stories designed to entertain, enlighten, and encourage. And now here's your host, Brian Sexton. And welcome into the Intentional Encourager podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sexton. Thank you for joining us again today. And man, I, I tell you what, I am just blown away by the caliber of people that intentionally choose to come on this podcast. And without exception, today's guest is one of those. He goes by Frankie Baby. If you follow him on LinkedIn, and you should, or if you follow him on Facebook, and you should, or other, or other social media platforms, you will see Frankie Baby, but you will see my guest Frank Mengert right here on the Intentional Encourager podcast today. Frank, how you doing today, brother? I'm doing awesome, Brian. Glad to be here. Uh, and yes, my visit is absolutely intentional. This is this is going to be so much fun. Frank, I, I, I have admired you from afar in the things that you do. You are very intentional about the things that you do, the content you put out, the, the ways you're trying to impact people. So let me start here. How has COVID-19 and this pandemic affected how you go with your approach to impacting people and, and doing the things that you've been doing because everybody's been affected in some way. I want to know how, how you have kind of changed things up or maybe you haven't, but, but how have you approached this pandemic as far as your content and things that you're trying to do and say with what you do? Yeah. Well, I, I take it in two steps, maybe. So one, one side of it is that, uh, and just for context, for anyone who's tuning in who, who doesn't know who Frankie Baby is, I'm sure there's plenty of people who do not. Um, I been I started creating content on the LinkedIn platform. Two I really ago. thought you were an international rock star. I didn't think you needed any kind of introduction like that, man. I just assumed that like Bono or, or, or Sting or Bon Jovi, you know, I just figured, you know, like Pele, you know, for people older, old like me, you know, Brady, Manning, Breeze. I, I just figured people knew who Frankie Baby was. <laughs> yeah, so I, yeah, my, my content creation journey began two years ago in, in November, actually. Um, so, so for two years, I've been showing up and creating content pretty, pretty regularly. Uh, COVID hitting, yeah, you mentioned, you, you kind of alluded to it. It, it didn't, I didn't change or strategize differently. I think I've my message and the way I show up on LinkedIn has always been pretty, you know, for lack of a better term, intentional. I, I do show up. I feel like as a whole, human beings can be make small incremental changes in the world. And if we sit back and do nothing, then we're not part of the change. Uh, but if we start to contribute little by little, and imagine if all so many people show up every day and start to contribute more and more then a massive change can happen and these small ripples become waves. So I've, I, I didn't you know, change up my strategy or do anything very different with COVID. Uh, I started to show up more and I think other people started to show up more, which was also great too, because the audience got, got better. The audience got bigger. People wanted to tune in. Uh, for me, it's all about creating connections. Uh, a lot of the content I create helps me as well. I, I share a part of my story. It's sort of like some type of, you know, one-way therapy uh, with you yeah. know, me talking at the camera, um, but I've been able to to hear other stories and interact with people. So yeah, from a personal side, I think that, that it didn't. I didn't change much or, or become you know too strategic. I just you know continue doing what I've been doing and what got me to where I, you know where I was with my audience and, and my 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 connections. Frank, you know that's so important because. Again, I, I think, and, and I've been telling people for the last couple of months, I've been sensing a shift on LinkedIn. And that's my primary platform because it's the place that I feel is most drama-free. Most people on the LinkedIn platform are there to engage with other like-minded people on that platform and to really, you know, bounce things off of each other. And, and just, it, it's like, it's, it's like the scripture says, iron sharpens iron. And so what has been the biggest surprise, maybe a pleasant surprise to you from the content that you've created intentionally and showing up every day? Has there been one of those moments like, man, I didn't see that coming. And it's really cool. I, I think that the most, you know, the, the, the most fulfilling thing for me uh, is, is seeing things where people 
will say things. I had a, I won't mention his name, but a, a pretty, you know, someone who started showing up on LinkedIn after me, but has experienced like rapid growth. You know, his, his following is double what mine is in a short period of time, putting out some great content. And I had his, you know, we jumped on a Zoom call the other day and he was like, man, you, you're basically why I started creating content. I started everything you were doing. I was like, Frank's doing this, dude, he's doing that. I, I started, you know, watching what you're saying and, 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 and listening to what you're, you know, get started and all the stuff you motivated me to start. And for me, and I, and I've got, I, I get some of those messages peppered in where people will say stuff. And for me, that's not why I show up on the platform, but to hear it. And when someone says, Hey, I did you, you know, you motivated me or you inspired me. It's pretty humbling to me because I, I, I don't look at myself as some, you know, motivational speaker or you know, inspiration. I feel like we need to, you know, we need to get that out of ourselves and we need to motivate and, and inspire ourselves. Um, so when people say that something I said has impacted them uh, or changed them or just helped them along somewhere in their journey, for me, those types of things are, are pretty awesome. And, and that's what drives me to want to keep creating content. Because even if, you know, that, those are the, those, the people that come and actually say something, it's awesome because it's like, okay, you know, wow, that's really you know, fulfilling to hear. But I'm hoping that there's other people who are tuning in who, who maybe just, you know, aren't reaching out and that's great. But I feel like I've got a pretty good audience with people. Um, I do some great back and forth with people and not only in comments, but in the DMs or if we jump on a Zoom or a phone call and, and I really made some awesome connections. So for me, it's, that has been amazing because I'm growing as a person through just showing up on, on the platform. Yeah. And, and, you know, the thing about it is Frank is, is that you and I are, are very much aligned in, in our purpose in what we do because the intentional encourager podcast. And, and I have people reach out to me and they'll say, well, you can, you know, if, if you use this service or that service, you can double your or triple your listenership and things like that. And my philosophy has always been, but am I going to reach the people that I want to reach that, that, that love hearing stories like yourself, and we're going to get into your story. You know, it, that's been the fulfilling thing for me is it's not been the number of downloads, things like that. They'll come, but it's been the stories of, of incredible people that I've gotten to know having them on this podcast that are just like, man, you have overcome so much. You have over. And that's what we, I think we need to continue to do is just continue to pump out those encouraging, encouraging, inspirational, purposeful stories to help people get from one day to the next because man there are businesses out there and i don't mean to, to pontificate during our time together but there are businesses out there man that are just fighting to stay alive they are just struggling to make it from one day to the next and man i love what you're doing with the content because you're giving first like you're saying hey if you take these strategies and and do them you can you you can increase your content you can increase your exposure Man, that's so important for people. What was that moment for you during this whole thing the last couple of years? What was that moment for you where you go, I got it. This is this is where, because we have some of those. I had it with the the Intentional Encourager podcast where like, yeah, that's it. That's what I need to do. What was that moment like for you or like, this is, this is how it needs to be? Uh, well, you know, people always ask me, like, have you always, you know, I, I've been, the, the versions of Frank have changed over time. I think, that, you know, that's something normal. And, and I strive to be a better version of myself. You know, it's just what I want to do. I, I feel like I can always grow and I can always improve on things. So looking at myself and, and seeing how I've changed over the years, you know, I realized some of the stuff I've like, wow, you know, five years ago, I probably would have had a different answer. I would have reacted differently or something like that. So as I, as I look back and, and, and see those types of things, for me, uh, just some of the growth, it, when people ask me, like, have you always been like that? And, and, and it's important for me to keep it real and be honest and say, no, honestly, it wasn't. I didn't think that way. My, my mentality wasn't there. My state of mind wasn't there. Um, you know, and, and, and a lot of things have changed just because of the fact that, you know, I'm I'm 43 now, uh, getting a little older. So you get older, you get wiser, you know, you start to experience things in life, but also, you start to surround, I think, as when you're younger, your circle of, of people 
changes. Yeah. I think you're, you're around when I was younger, I hung around with these people who you know, we were going to be together forever, best buds, you know, all this stuff. And, and as we get older, our paths change. You know, yeah. Someone's going one way, I'm going another way, you know, everyone's going and some people are going backwards. So I think for me, it was really to start to realize that it's okay to have to cut ties with certain people or, 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 or and, and also to make sure that I'm around other people and being around other people, especially realizing this over the past six or seven months doesn't mean I have to physically be sitting next to you. Um, you know, yeah. we, we've come very, become very comfortable with, uh, with, you know, electronic communication, but having conversations like this, like zoom, you know, I have a lot of, you know, quote unquote friends that I've never really met in person. You know, I yeah. haven't shaken their hand or gave them a hug, but I've come to respect them. I've come to listen to their advice and to seek out their advice when needed. And, and for me, that's, that's been, you know, the, the people I surround myself with has been, you know, a big change for me. And, and that's really over the past, you know, I would say, you know, three years that that's really been a, a big, big difference for me. Maybe when I hit 40, you know, it's like sort of like um, I, I started, I started on a, a new, clearer path for myself. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because I, I, I can empathize. And, and similarly, it happened with me at about 45. I'm 48 now. It's, and, it, and at about 45. I really started flipping my mindset around being intentional and, and doing things like that. And Frank, I love what you said there, man, because uh, I was thinking for a minute, man, that you had been eavesdropping into my house with my conversations with my 20 year old son, because you, you hit on something there. The friends you have five years from now are probably not going to be the same circle of friends that you have. Now people come into your life. They, they, you know, it's, it's a tide. The tide comes in, it washes some things ashore. The tide goes out, it washes other things out into the sea. And it's not that you don't care. And that's what I'm trying to tell my 20 year old. It's like, look, man, the friends you have now are probably not going to be the friends you have five years from now. But, but that's okay. Because again, as we alluded to a minute ago, iron sharp as iron sharpens it. If I could talk today, Frank, that'd be great, man. It, that's a prerequisite for having a podcast. It, you know, you have to be able to talk, but iron sharpens iron. Let me let me go here with you for just a second. What constitutes great content? Because everybody wants to have that thing that gets a million, two million views. People want to. The the thing is, I've got to have something that goes viral. And and what I love about you. And let me set up the question this way is you put the content out. I feel the authenticity coming from you with the content of going, if one person watches this, I'm cool. I'm just putting it out there. So what constitutes in your mind, great content? I love the question. When I created my first video, um, and, and to, again, two years ago, I put, I put my first video out and I made sort of, when I did it, I was nervous. You know, who's going to listen? People are going to make fun of me. And I had all these things going on in my brain. And I was like, I'm going to put it out. Um, and, and I'm, and I'm going to see what happens. And if I, if one person likes it or whatever, you know, I'm just, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to show up and I, I'm going to do it regardless. I'm not going to worry about, you know, the vanity metrics, so to speak. And that's what a lot of what's going on out there is, you know, how can I go viral? What can I post? You look at your view counts, you know, all these things. And, and I put the video out there and yeah, I mean, it, it didn't, today my content performs much better. My audience is a lot different. Back then I had, you know, five, 600 followers and it, it you know, I, I, the video was terrible. Um, I always say I looked like I was, um, it was part of a hostage negotiation. I was trying to get someone to pay my ransom. I was nervous. You know, That's beautiful, voice. dude. That is so good, man. <laughs> uh, so you can hear my voice, but I did, I showed up. And every, and every piece of, I've never taken a piece of content down. So I've never posted something and said, oh, going to delete that didn't perform well. Or if people come yeah. at me in the comments, I'm not like, oh, I'm going to delete this because I don't want to deal with, you know, the chaos and the haters yeah. and the trolls. So no, never done any of that. And, and always have the same sort of mindset that if people like it, the numbers will show that, you know, the, you'll get the views, you'll get the likes, you'll get the comments and stuff like that. And, and if not, then maybe it didn't resonate with everyone. You're not going to say things that agree with everyone. Um, a lot of the, the vanity metric stuff, I, I think, has taken over quite a bit. You hey, know? I got to jump in there real quick. I love what you said there, 
I'd love that because most people, listen, and, and you and I were talking before we started recording, I'm, I'm a sports guy. The greatest quarterbacks of all time don't complete 100% of their passes. They don't even complete 90%. They don't even complete 80%. The best quarterbacks are 70% passers. Statistically, they're 70%. So seven out of 10 throws they complete. And, and a lot of times it's dependent on does the receiver catch the ball? It's not that the quarterback made a bad throw. It's, it's did the receiver catch the ball? And I love what you said there about post not getting the traction and people getting discouraged and things like that. I had to jump in there because I think we've gotten that mindset, Frank, of everything that we put out there is going to just go through the ceiling. And, man, not every throw you make is going to be a good one. Even the greatest, like I said, the greatest QBs out there, man, don't they, they, they throw it high. They throw it wide. They, you know, and, and for those of you that are not football fans, it's anything with life. You're not going to be 100% accurate, 100% perfect all the time. When did you have that flip in your mind that said, I'm going to do this no matter what? because you know that it's not going to resonate. Was there that mindset from the beginning that you said, I'm going to do this no matter what? Or did you have to kind of coach yourself to get to that point to say, hey, I believe in the content strongly enough that the views don't matter to me as much? <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think when I put my first piece of content out there, I, I was pot committed. But November, so again, I put my first piece of content out in November 2018. I met... The, the catalyst behind me creating content, I, I met Gary Vaynerchuk in May of 2018. So May, I, uh, May 9th, I went to Gary's office, sat down with Gary, and he was like, start creating content on LinkedIn. He's like, it's gonna, it'll, it'll change your life. LinkedIn, you need to be on LinkedIn. Uh, and me, who's never, I had never even been on a podcast back then, didn't create content, nothing of the sort, you know, nothing. I was a consumer of YouTube and things like that. So him telling me this, you know, someone who I was looking up to and admiring, of course, was like, go create content on LinkedIn. It's going to change your life. So that was May. I'm not, came out of the meeting. I'm all fired up. And, you know, a couple days later, you know, still fired up, but sort of like, yeah, it's Gary V, but maybe he doesn't know what he's talking about. So it took me till November to actually put out my first piece of content. So there was a lot of, you know, I was thinking about it. And I was like, what can I write about? And, 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 and sort of, I was like, you know, thinking about what can I put out there that's going to resonate with people. And then finally, I just got to the point where I was like, just do it, man. Just put it out there and see what happens. So when I created the first piece of content, I was pot committed. That's it. Yeah. And, and, and since then, I never looked back. It's like when I put content out now, of course, it's a lot easier to me. And people are like, dude, you're a natural. You know, I wasn't a natural. It wasn't easy for me. I was petrified. And, and, and I still make mistakes now when I put out content. But yeah, it, you, you do something for two years, you're going to yeah. get better at it. So I think yeah. it's consistency there too. Well, and, and I'll tell you this, what, 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 I, what I took from that, and, and I want to pull some more out of that, that part of that conversation because Gary Vaynerchuk's brilliant. Dude is absolutely brilliant with, with marketing and strategies. I'm not a fan of the language that he uses. He uses some, some colorful language but he's brilliant in creating content. Take, take me how that meeting came to pass because for a lot of people that are listening to this, they would go, man, I would kill for a meeting with Gary V. I mean, this guy is, he, he's hanging out with Alex Rodriguez, who, who you know, is, is, you know, A-Rod has rebuilt himself from a disgraced athlete to a, a mogul now. He's a business tycoon. He's everywhere. He and his fiance Jennifer Lopez. How did that meeting with Gary V come about? And what was the thing besides the content? What was the thing that you took away from that meeting with him that was like, wow, I, I that that's a it's a V8 moment for me there. Yeah. So so this meeting was you know close or around roughly two and a half years ago. So uh, getting an audience with Gary V today is probably almost more impossible than it was back then. Um, hey, you're Frankie, baby. You can get an audience with anybody. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I, I, I've been Frank. My mother calls me Frankie, baby. That's where that originated. So I've been Frankie, baby, for quite a long time. So. Yeah. 
<laughs> but um, so I've like like a lot of people who I saw Gary Gary's content probably you know somewhere in seventeen or whatever I you know, found him on YouTube and was like whoa this guy really knows what he's talking about you know he's yeah his language some of the stuff. I kind of take away and try finding the messaging and what he's talking about and some of the points, smart business guy, you know, definitely knows marketing. So you kind of cut through that and saw like, okay, what can I take away from him? You know, what can I pull for, away from a, a conversation? Not, there was a one way he was talking to me through, through video I was consuming on YouTube. So I was really loving his stuff, consuming it, following him on, on Instagram and Twitter and things like that. And uh, he was doing some giveaways where you can have a conversation with him, um, you know, tell part of your story and things like that. And that's what got me in there was sort of, you know, my story to, to Gary V. The, the event now is called, I think they still do it. It's called 4Ds, which you can pay to go and meet with Gary. And it's like $15,000 to go sit with Gary and, and you can talk to him and talk to his team. So it's changed the model, but basically it was essentially what's called 4Ds today. Um, and, and I was a part of that in the origination form. And I got to meet with him. Um, I got to meet with a lot of people on his marketing team and the, the people that you know do all the amazing stuff behind the scenes. So it was a pretty immersive full day event. And um, yeah, it was, it was pretty awesome. It was, I learned a lot. That moment seems to, and I hear it in your voice, Frank, it, that moment really seemed to change how you viewed things. And, and, and we get those moments with people like that. I, I have um, my new book that, that is releasing this week, People Buy From People, a conversation I have with Kristen Sherry, who's a LinkedIn rock star. We had barbecue together in, in Rock Hill, South Carolina. And she was the one that pushed me to, to really do the book that I, that I did. So those conversations, man, I understand that. Those, those conversations are so powerful. Let's get into your story. Um, be, and that's why I wanted to have you on the Intentional Encourager podcast to tell your story. So, man, I'm going to give you the floor. Take me back as far back as you want to go and, and kind of tell your life story about how you got from point A to where you are today. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, if you... I, I like when people when, when when people sort of ask you know your story conversation. I learned um, from a woman who also creates content on LinkedIn. Her name is Mary Henderson. We had a conversation of you know unpacking our life and looking at okay from zero to twenty one you you live a life and, and things happen to you that basically shape you from you know twenty one and on and and your life is sort of a lot of the things that happen impact you and how you act throughout the rest of your life. So I feel like in that zero to 20 or whatever phase, whatever that breakdown is, yeah, I was, you know, humble background. I, I grew up in, in South Florida. So I was born in, in Florida. Um, very, very humble beginnings. And we didn't have any money. And, and my father was a truck driver. Um, you know, my mom was, we had, she had four kids. So she was home raising children. And, um, and it was, it was normal to us. It was normal that, you know, we were broke um, and we, we lived in a, a crappy neighborhood, but it, we didn't know any better. We didn't know any different. Mm -hmm. That's everyone around us was, was like that. So it was a community and, 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 and a lot of that was, was great because I, I come, I, I know, I remember growing up and not having much. I remember being on food stamps and, and I, I didn't know that food stamps were bad until people made fun of me that I had yeah. food stamps. So th that, those things seemed normal to me. Um, my parents divorced, came to, came to Connecticut. So we kind of fast forwarding a little bit. And, and my life was, you know, not, it, it was sort of normal. Nothing really great happening. I, I don't think I was really thinking about my future. I think I was just, you know, tr trying to get through and, and just, you know, hanging out, you know. Getting How old were you when your parents divorced? Because I, I talked to people in, and my parents stayed together. My parents had a, an unfortunate situation, but they stayed together mm -hmm. through it. And, you know, I thank God, you know, my parents did stay. Together. How old were you when your parents divorced and you ended up uprooting to Connecticut? I was, um, I was either 12 or about 12 years old when the divorce uh, happened. So, um, so you're having to move a thousand miles, basically about a thousand miles away. You, you, you grew up in South Florida it's a life you know. You just mentioned it wasn't much, but it was what we knew. Was that a big time culture shock for you going from South Florida to Connecticut as a 12 or 13 year old kid? Because again, man, I, I can imagine 
you're going you you're going through puberty and and you, you, things are changing anyway, and then all of a sudden you have this major life event and and you have to move far away from home. Take me through that time. How did that impact you? Do you think looking back? Yeah, I mean it's it never fun. I, 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 in that age, you you've got your friends. You know, you're very close. You know, you think like back then, like we talked about earlier, we're gonna be friends forever. You know that type of yeah. stuff. So you you have those relationships, and then to move, especially in school, school's intimidating. You're coming to a different culture. You know, I had a sort of a, you know, hillbilly accent and um, South Florida. So now I'm in Connecticut. Dude, this is a hillbilly accent. I live in West Virginia. I know what a hillbilly accent is. (laughs) Well, I've, yeah, it's, it's, so I said, just things, things were different, of course, culturally, you know, Connecticut, small, small town, but um, I mean, small state, but coming from where I was just, totally different. The people are different. So I'm the new guy all of a sudden. So that transition was a definitely difficult on me. Um, and then just, just a lot of the, the fighting back and forth with my parents and was never good anyway. You know, my, my, the, that relationship was always tumultuous with my parents. So it, it was a lot going on as a young kid that I felt like I had to just, you know, deal with it and, and try to get through it. So some of the some of the stuff I did, like a lot of us do, we, we bury it and, and try to just, you know, trudge, trudge on. And, 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 um, and I think, I think a lot of it was, you know, me, I was torn between living with my mom, living with my dad. Um, and then I was, you know, in Connecticut and, and just dug in and, and stayed and, uh, and, you know, got through, it was, I was living with my father remarried. So that was even a little bit worse there because now he, he a new woman in his life, you know, my, mm-hmm. I got to deal with that. I had stepbrothers, stepsisters, you know, we were clashing. So I lived in a house where I kind of hated it, um, yeah. but I did it because I, you know, I was just was up here and stayed with it. I made new friends, wasn't going back to Florida. Um, my mom was, was down in Florida with my two younger siblings and yeah, I was just up here. I couldn't wait to get out of the house. Um, and, and that was, you know, for me, probably looking back was probably the most difficult time of my life. Not was after the divorce, but living with, you know, my father and this new family that I felt I was the outcast. Um, and, and so that, I think that was pretty difficult. So it, that part of my life shaped me, but also, you know, put me, I think on a path to where, when I was, I, I didn't go to, to college right out of high school. Um, and when I got to the point in my life where I was basically, I was sleeping, I was living in my, with my, my father, sharing a bedroom with my five-year-old sister at the time, my half-sister, my dad had a new kid. And, mm-hmm. and I was at a point in my life where I was like, where am I going? You know, what am I doing here? Um, and um, I, you know, I shared this a little bit recently, but I had 140 bucks. Um, I bought a mountain bike. I had no car. I had nothing. And I, I bought a mountain bike. Um, and I, I, I wrote, I got a job. My buddy owned a car dealership. He let me, he said, I'll, I'll hire you to wash cars. And I would ride the bike from, you know, it was pretty far. I would ride the bike probably, you know, it was a 20 minute bike ride every day, ride down to um, the town, wash cars all day. Uh, and then, you know, go home. And I was back and forth, back and forth, saving my money. I saved up my money for insurance saved up my money to buy a, a beater that he had on his lot. And, um, I bought the car. Um, and he was really, it was a friend of mine. You know, he knew he was doing me a favor. I was wanted to get a different job. Someone helped me get a better job. Um, so I got the car that got me the better job. And then that job helped me go to school. And, um, so yeah, I was working, uh, 11 at night, seven in the morning overnight working, and then going to school from, you know, eight 30 to four, uh, and did that till I got my degree in computer science. Hey everybody, Brian Sexton here. I want to tell you about our sponsor, SEO National. SEO stands for Search Engine Optimization. Now what's that, you might say? Well, Search Engine Optimization helps you show up higher on search engines in front of paying customers for words that you as a business owner can monetize. What a great concept. SEO National is owned by my good buddy, Damon Burton, who's been a guest here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Not only has Damon and his team worked with businesses of all sizes, from e-commerce startups to NBA teams and Shark Tank featured businesses, but more importantly, Damon and his team are about transparency, trust, and providing lifetime value. So much so that he still has his first customers 
after opening SEO National 14 years ago. Let me give you some intentional encouragement and call Damon and his team today at 855-736-6285 or go to www.seonational.com and get a free quote. You, What I'm hearing from you, Frank, and I love that that story because it, it seems to me that, that there was that moment in time you're sleeping on the floor, the same, same room as your half-sister, and you think to yourself, if I don't do something different, man, that th- this is no way to live. And, and so you started being intentional about getting this job, getting the mountain bike, and, you know, because that's brilliant, man, because even a 20-minute bike ride, guess what you don't have? You don't have gas and insurance for a car, you know? And, and so you're able to, to grind that hustle out and things like that. You get your degree in computer science. Did, did you really, what was the next step for you in, in your journey? Because you really, you learned the hustle, man. You really learned the hustle of putting yourself through school and things like that. Did you still have that hustle mentality as you went into to getting your first job in computer science? So I, I was working, so this company, I got this job at this company, it was a paper mill, working and making photo paper back then. And so we would make these big rolls of, of paper uh, that would be sold to like Kodak and these other distributors. So that job, they, they, they said that they did tuition reimbursement. So they're like, hey, after six months, you're eligible and we'll do tuition reimbursement. So I was couldn't wait. Six months in, I'm ready to go to school. Um, I got some academic scholarships and I got the, the financial aid from the job and went to school, was working there. Love, I actually loved the job. I met great people. You know, it wasn't my dream job, but I was making you know, decent money and I was, I was learning. I immersed myself in being the best paper coder. We were coding paper. So I, was, I wanted to learn everything about it, the machines, the ovens, the dampers, all this stuff. And, and actually liked the job. And I was there for a couple, you know, while I was going to school. And when I got, my goal was when I graduated that I would, I would work in the front office. This was a pretty, pretty big firm. They had a headquarters in Rhode Island. The plant I was working at was in Connecticut. So they, they were pretty big, several hundred employees. And I'm like, I'm going to get a degree in computer science and I'm going to, I want to move up to front office. I want to be the IT guy here. Why yeah. not? I mean, I'm, they're going to hire me. Why wouldn't they hire me? Um, and they had a five-year commitment. So if you graduate, um, you have to stay with the company for five years. So I'm figuring they're married to me. Um, and uh, so that was my plan. Uh, I, and one day I went into work and um, they, I, I was laid off. Um, I walked into the cafe. They were like, oh, you know, Noreen wants to see you in the cafeteria. Noreen Connolly, she was the plant manager. And I went in and she was sitting at this round table. I can remember it so clearly. And um, she was like, we're, we're going to have to lay you off. Um, and I was devastated. I was like, I'm the best back there. No one knows these, the job better than me. I mean, I'm the high performer. I, I, I say yes to everything. I said, I, I show the engineers how the ovens work. And I can find things with the viscosity of the, of the paper coating. I knew all the things. I was, I was mm-hmm. really, honestly, brilliant at the job. And, um, and she said, yes, but you'll recover. She's like, if I lay off one of these other guys, and these people have been back there 15, 20, 30 years in these jobs running these mills back there. She's like, if I lay one of them off, they won't recover, but you will. You're going places. And um, I didn't want to hear it. You know, I was like, I had no savings. I had nothing. And so they sent me packing with two weeks, two weeks severance. Um, and, and that was it. Yeah, Let's, I, let me, let me, st- let me jump in there because that is so brilliant. Because what what I'm hearing is this, is that, Frank, people saw potential in you before you saw potential in yourself. And that a lot of times in life, and I don't care how old you are, there are a lot of times that people see things in you that you don't see in yourself. And, and, and where, where you felt like, man, they were kicking you to the curb looking back in hindsight, man, they did you a huge favor. I mean, they really, they really, this lady looked out for you. When, when you pick yourself back up, you get, you get your two weeks and you get, you get back on your feet. What was the next move for Frank? What was, what was your next move to do? Were you just kind of looking to go, okay, I need to find something pretty quick or, 
or were you intentional about moving to that next thing in your career? Yes. Uh, during the time, I would say maybe six months prior to me getting laid off, um, I, I was, you know, of course, in the computer science field and, and people started to know me as the computer guy. And, and so I was trying to fix computers. I was trying to do side, I was basically doing some side hustle work where I would try to get, you know, I would do home break fix type work. So someone's computer wasn't working. They didn't want to, and back, you know, 20 years ago, it was pretty expensive, to not only to own a computer, but also to have someone service it. So I was out there, you know, building up this little side hustle business of fixing computers. And, and, and that was a lot of fun. And I was learning a lot, but people started to rely on me for that. When I lost when I lost my job, I was, you know, what am I going to do? My life is over. You know, I was like, I was going through all the emotional things. How am I going to, I had an apartment, I had a car payment, I had all this stuff. And you think it's going to continue and you, you know, it's like, okay. Yeah. And I didn't, you know, and like most people out there, you know, I was 24 years old. I was, didn't have any money. Um, so it's not like I had this massive savings account. And um, so I didn't have many prospects, but at that time I knew I was going to, I had the two weeks. I knew I'd be able to collect some unemployment for a little bit. So I was like, I'm going to try to turn this side hustle into my main hustle. And, and that was when I started my first company. And, and that, that's what I did. I, I was like, I'm going to go all in on this, on this computer thing and try to you know, do, my own, do it on my own. Um, and that was the journey into my building my first company. And that's 2000, probably 2001, 2002, in, in a time in the area that you live, that you live in, was it was a volatile time and of course i'm thinking about september 11 2001 mm -hmm. where where the new york area and and connecticut where you are it the proximity is very close i mean you're probably if you don't mind me asking what about an hour from new york city yeah I'm, uh, we're about probably probably about just under 90 minutes into the actual city into the city how did that reverb i've got to ask you this because living up there at the time I, I, I'm, I'm fascinated to, to know this. If you don't mind me taking this slight detour, mm -hmm. how did the, the terrorist attacks of 9-11 affect you guys that close to, to the city? Because we see what happened inside New York City. But obviously there were reverberations that went outside the city as well too that, that people really don't talk about. What was that like? What was that time period like for you um, had you started your business had in, in that time frame? And, you know, maybe if you've got a, a, a personal story around that day, I'd love to hear it. Because, again, I, I think people, any, anybody near that city would have to have, I know the emotions we felt here. Mm -hmm. Even 20 years later, as I watched some of the documentaries and things like that, I'm like, man, I remember where I was at, you know, what I was doing. What was that like for you, Frank? Yeah, it was it was. Pre, I wasn't, didn't have my own company then, um, but so I was working and I was working the 11 at night to seven in the morning shift and it happened shortly after, you know, it was all unfolding around that time. So for me, I was getting, I was leaving work and I had to just commute home and then I was getting ready to go into school. So it was all basically unfolding within that, you know, 90 minute time frame, whatever, when, they, when, they, when the first tower was hit. And then it's just like chaos started to happen. And it was every, people, no matter where you went, were kind of glued anywhere. Um, and I was actually home getting ready um, to, uh, I was just coming home from, from work. Um, so worked all night and then it was on the TV. I think I stopped and got gas. And that's when I heard about it. I think someone had mentioned it, you know, we're under attack. I think that's what someone had said. We're, we're under attack. Um, and for me, I'm wondering, you know, who's attacking us? What's going on? It's in New York City. We are very close. So that, you know, as a bordering state, we're like, what's going on? Is it, you know, it's next. And then, you know, we, you hear stuff's going on down in DC. So for me, it was sort of like watching, it was like slow motion, I think. And wondering, you know, okay, that happened there. You know, chaos in the sky and everyone's looking to the sky to wonder what the heck's going on. Um, so for me, it was, it was really like time stood still for a little bit. Um, and that whole day was just unbelievably slow. Uh, and then what happened after the aftermath, I think what, what, what a lot of people, you know, it was, it was chaos uh, that would happen, but how New York came together 
a lot of my friends were firefighters were going into the city you know they were like just we're going down we're driving down there and helping out in droves and so many people i knew that were you know, either police or, or some type of first responder were heading down there to help and i think the way people came together through that was was probably in the darkness we saw how we all came together as a community so I, for me you know looking back even thinking about it now i, I think it was a pretty in, in, in pivotal moment for for all of us, but especially yeah. those that were pretty close um, that were impacted and in, in, uh, in just seeing how everyone came together afterwards. Well, I had to ask because, you know, 90 minute, a 90 minute commute in that area is, kind of, is somewhat common. Mm-hmm. You know, you have people living where you do that, that probably commute into the city for work or before the pandemic, they commuted into the city every day, either by train or by car, things like that, because you know, I would think 90 minutes, like for, for people here, if I have to drive 90 minutes to work, it better be a really good job. But, but up there, it's, it's pretty common. Mm-hmm. Let me, let me now fast forward in the, in the few minutes that we've got left to, to some other things in your story. Um, go a little deeper if you don't mind. And then uh, I, I want to ask you one pivotal question there, but just go a little deeper if you would. Uh, yeah, so I started that first company, which was actually around, uh, around 2003 when I when I started that company. So I started that company. Uh, it was it was pretty tough too. Everyone you know, wants to. I mean, today entrepreneurship is like the coolest thing. Everyone wants to be an entrepreneur. Oh yeah, yeah. throw your title. You know, I'm an entrepreneur. Um, back then, no one was calling it entrepreneur. You know, you know, people that were entrepreneurs were thinking like you know Bill Gates and all these other people that were starting something crazy. So um, for me, starting a company was just like, hey man, I'm just trying to you know be a small business owner, and it was tough. Um, I probably didn't make any money for you know probably 13, 14 months, you know, basically scraping to to, to get by. So it was it was tough. You know, I want I don't want anyone to be um, you know, misled by the glamorization of entrepreneurship. It was tough. Uh, it was a struggle. I wanted to give up a lot. And then I finally got, you know, my first big client and then things started to get better year over year. So I started that first company at the same time, like while I had that first company going, I started a second company, um, that, um, it was a learning for me. It was a successful company for a a couple of years. And then 90% of my business was basically one client. Um, and that one client, you know, sort of without getting too far into it, sort of stole all my ideas, stole yeah. our blueprint, stole our vendors, stole everything that we were doing for them that we went and implemented um, and fired me. Uh, they fired the company. So I got burned there, but it was a, definitely learning for me. You know, business it isn't just business. Sometimes you can't do things on a handshake. You got to have contracts in place. You got to protect your intellectual property. So that was a, a learning point for me. Um, I started a third company that was just a, just failure from the beginning. Um, and just never, you know, there was, again, when you look at starting a company, will people spend money on it? Is there an actual need for it? You know, just because you think that there's, it's a cool idea and there's a need for it. Will people actually part with their money to actually buy the service? And I didn't do the right testing and things like that. Um, that company was a bust. And then my fourth company is with the company I have now. Uh, which is EBM. So we're an HR technology firm. Um, and that's my baby, uh, my most successful company for sure, by far, uh, not only in, in, in revenue, um, but also just, just me feeling like, wow, you know, this is legit. You know, I got employees yeah. all across the nation. You know, we've got clients everywhere. Um, so that's, and then my fifth company I started this year um, in uh, just right around the height of the pandemic. Uh, I started a real estate holding firm. So <clears throat> that's been, you know, TBD there. Yeah. I, I purchased my first, my first commercial building. Um, and uh, so, yeah, we'll see how things shake out over the next several years, but I think it would be a smart long-term play for me to have some, some, uh, some properties. Dude, you got to get somebody to sponsor your hair. Your hair is just brilliant. <laughs> I'm telling you, man, I, I'm just, I, I'm watching, I'm, I'm watching you and, and, and like, you know, and, and again, this is, for those that are watching this on YouTube, that watch this on YouTube, I mean, when, when someone's talking, I, I look right into the camera as though we're talking eye to eye. 
And you, your hair is just brilliant, man. <laughs> I, I am just, I'm having envy right now because I'm kind of stuck with this right here. So, <laughs> you know, it's, it's just, it's brilliant, dude. Hey, take me in the, in, the, in the remaining few minutes we have together. Take me through the greatest obstacle you've overcome and the lesson you learned from it. Because again, I think people are learning lessons every day through this pandemic. And you mentioned getting laid off and, and, and going, but, but I'm the best, you know, I'm and and, and Maureen telling you, you're going to recover. You're going to, you'll, you'll recover. You'll be fine. What was the greatest obstacle that you overcame in the lesson you learned from it? Yeah, well, I mean, I've been hit, you know, even though I shared, you know, sort of scratch the surface with some of this stuff, I've been hit with quite a few obstacles in my life. Um, even early on at birth, um, we had, I had problems with my heart when I was, you know, on the, just fresh out of my mother. Um, so been, been battling for a long time. So I, there's been a lot of obstacles. I think I share a lot of the stuff I do because I feel like my story somewhere, if, if I was to take my entire story and share it with someone, people would see things that relate to them. So I feel like I always say like, I'm relatable. Like people would be like, Oh my God, I came from the, a poor family or I was on food stamps or uh, I, I, my, my family, my father used to beat my mother and it was broken home yeah. or, or I lost my job. So there's all these things that I've been through in my life that are, yeah, they're obstacles, but you find out how resilient you are when you feel like, wow, you know, there's been so many times in my life where I'm like, oh man, this is it, Frank, you're, you're no, no coming back. From you here. know something, I don't mean to jump in there, but, yeah. but you, you and I have a, a relatable moment there with, with food. I remember I was a sophomore in college. Mm -hmm. My dad was working for a, a family company and man, we were scraping. Um, thank God. I, I was kind of paying for college on my own. My parents couldn't afford to send me to college. And, and I remember this, you were talking about food stamps and stuff like that. I had, I had to share this. I worked in a grocery store and I remember the food stamps coming to the house because we, we needed them. And I told my mom, I said, don't spend those in my grocery store. I don't, because I was embarrassed. And, and I look back at that and I'm like, I look back 30 years later, Frank, and I'm like, that's one of the stupidest things I've ever said. It's one of the dumbest things I've ever said because Again, man, my family, you know, I, I wanted to eat too, but I was like, well, don't, you know, and, and I could see the look on my mom's face and I, I wish I could go, I wish I could go back and just gut punch 19 year old or 20 year old me and just go, how dumb were you, <laughs> you know, but yeah, there, there are parts of the story and I didn't mean to jump in there with, with what you were saying. It is relatable, man. If, if you have, if you've had parents that have worked quote unquote middle-class jobs like you like like our parents did man you go through those times where you struggle and 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 I want to share something with the audience here if you're struggling right now it's okay guys like Frank guys like myself we've been where you are and it's okay but here's the encouragement is that man you'll bounce back you'll pick up Frank what's your you mentioned a couple of those, man, we could go two hours and, and we need to, we need to do, we need to, to do a part two of this thing at some point, but I want you in the, in the time we have left, what's your biggest piece of intentional encouragement for folks out there? Because you, you hit on something really brilliant is everybody has relatability to somebody else and what they're going through. So share with the folks, I'm going to give you the floor. You just go for however long you want to go. What's your biggest piece of intentional encouragement? Well, there's something that I say quite often whenever I could squeeze it in is if I can, you can. It's a sort of mantra that I have. And it goes back to the being relatable thing. Like I'm there's no special sauce. There was, you know, there's there's so much that happened in my life. There's so much that happens in, in our lives, no matter who you are, whether it's the the worst things that have happened to you or you know, you've just been sidelined for the first time in your life. There's things that we go through that yeah, we are, we're, we are way more resilient than we give ourselves credit for. And, and just like I started to say, like, there, there's a lot of times in my life where I'm like, this is it, no coming back. Like even this company that I have today, like there was times where I'm like, oh man, I, I wasn't taking a paycheck. You know, I got to make payroll. Like, what, what's going to happen if we don't, if this doesn't happen, these things don't happen. And I'm sort of your backs up against a wall. And, and then I've gotten through it. And every time I look back, I'm like, ah, oh, all right, I did it. You know, so it's like I've constantly, you know, we 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 need to make investments in ourselves. We need to bet on ourselves because 
there's, if, if we don't believe we can do something, we've already lost. But if we go into something being very, again, I'm going to use the word here, but very intentional about what we can deal and what we're capable of and how resilient we are, then we, we've already defeated half of the things that are going to stop us from getting to where we want to be. And, and just keep trudging forward. I feel like if someone else has done it, so can you. Uh, if someone else has been in that position and been laid off or you know, has tried to start a company or whatever it is, anything a part of my story that can relate to you, if I can do it, you can do it. And that's what I would tell anyone. Is just don't, you've got to just stay focused on you and, and not, not let yourself, you got to sometimes block people out. If I, if I would have listened to people coming up and they, you know, people said, oh, you'll never do that or that's a stupid idea or you're crazy, I probably wouldn't be where I am today. But I've learned to block out and silence the haters and stay focused on what I truly believe in, and 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 also know that I when it's when I get my butt kicked, I, you got to dust yourself off. It's okay to take a little time out and you know kind of cry a little bit, and, and yeah. that's all right. Yeah, you know, but keep moving forward. Small steps, are, moving forward are steps nonetheless, and progress is progress. So that's that's what I would say. Man, that's so good. You're you're 100% right. I, and what a perfect place to leave this conversation because there's nothing nothing to add to that. Man, that was that was brilliant. Um tell folks where they can find you Frank and and connect with you and and get your content. Um so yeah, uh my main spot is definitely LinkedIn. Um I show up there you know, pretty much daily even if I'm not posting daily anymore. Uh I'm there, you know, definitely putting out at least, you know, three four pieces of content every week. And that's definitely the, the best spot to find me. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm on you know, Facebook. I'm not very active there for the reasons you mentioned earlier. I feel like, you know, there's, you know, kind of there's good people there, good stuff, and then good intentions. Um, and, and I have a YouTube channel too. It's Frank Manger, so you can find me there as well. So um, any of my old videos there and things like that, you can find me. So pretty much any, any social channel, it's, it's Frank Manger anywhere I'm at. And by the way, I want to mention this go back and watch his videos on content creation. He shares some incredible tips around content creation. And um, if, if you want to, to do that for your business, for yourself, whatever, Frank's got some incredible tips that'll help you there. And, and because he's the kind of guy that he is and he give, he's a giver, um, it's not going to cost you anything. Just go back and look at the content and, and you'll get some great tips there. And uh, I definitely wanted to mention that, Frank. That that was such a gift you gave to, to your community, man. Thank you. And thank you for your time today on the Intentional Encourager podcast. You bet, Brian. This was a lot of fun. I appreciate it. And you had some awesome questions. We try, man. We, we really try. Frank, I appreciate you, brother. Thank you. Yep. My thanks, as always, to producer Bryce Sexton and technical advisor Matt Mead. And the ultimate thanks goes to the Lord Jesus Christ, who provides intentional encouragement every day through His Word. And until next time, remember, everyone, everywhere, at any time, and any place, can be an intentional.